right tonight? That is what I like to hear. You are like Mr. Enthusiasm today. Love that. The rest of you are sounding good as well. Uh, I hope you had fun at uh, the games. There's more, there's more stuff uh, after chapel. But before we get there, we're going to get into some really, really important stuff. What's up, buddy? Glad, glad you're here. What's your name? Ryder. Ryder, I'm glad you're here. We've got important stuff to talk about tonight. So uh, we're going to get into God's word. We're going to open it up. We're going to be starting in John 2, and we're going to go through John 6. So if you're uh, opening up your, your Bibles, the, uh, the table of contents can be your friend if you're not sure where that is. Uh, but that's where we're going to be tonight. And as we open up, let me pray. Father, I, I just submit to your spirit. Lord, as we go through your word, as we... As we hear about your son, Lord, as we see the evidence, I just pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, continue to show us who you are and what you've done and what you want for us, your chosen people. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I met my wife just a month after I turned 19. It was a, a random chance. I went away to college and uh, ended up not, not working out. And so I moved home. And her sister invited me to her graduation party. And when I showed up, I saw the most beautiful girl I had already seen before. <laughs> so we went to the same high school. And I had never met her. I was intrigued by her and also intimidated. I, I thought she, she was two years older than me, and I thought there was no way. Like, this girl was way out of my league. There was no, I didn't even have any business even approaching her. And yet, on that day, I felt a little nudge to, to go up and introduce myself. I'd been friends with her sister all through high school, and yet I had never even talked to her. Things started working out, and I uh, she invited me to, to stay uh, after everybody else went home and, and a few close friends watched a movie together. And I, got, I worked up the, the courage to, to put my arm around her during the movie. Yeah, that was bold. And to my surprise, she didn't move it. She left it there. And I started to go, well, maybe, maybe, she's, maybe she's into me. Maybe I have a shot. And so her sister came downstairs and she said these words, you cannot date my sister. And I said, okay. And then she uh, called me the next day and she said, hey, uh, a few of us are getting together for another movie night. You want to you wanna come over? And, and so I came over and we, we started hanging out and, and I just remember wanting to be around her. I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to, to learn everything about her. I wanted to have long conversations on the phone. We used to do that before texting. I wanted to, to go out on dates. I wanted to spend time to hear her stories. I wanted to know what she liked. I wanted to know who she was. And so over the next several months, we, I started to get to know who she was. And I, I started to find out this woman is incredible. Like, she has some quirks. Like, we all have quirks, right? I mean, you, you have quirks. I have quirks. She was a Braves fan. 
I was like, that's not going to work. So now she's a Dodgers fan, so we're good. Wait, we have, I see some clapping. We have some Giants fans in here. No, that's, that's good. That's good. Minor league teams need fans too. So, all right. So I, I, I started, I started going on dates with her and I started to get to know her and I started to see things that I liked and, and, and some things that, that maybe I didn't like. And one thing that I, I always tell my daughters, I said, you need to, as you get older, I have a 12-year-old, some of you are 12, 13 here, as you get older, you need to start thinking about what type of person do you want to be your husband someday? What type of person do you want to spend the rest of your life with? Because the, the second greatest question you'll ever answer is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Tomorrow night we'll get to the most important question you'll ever answer. But, but I started to, to tell them, you know, as you start to date, you need to start making a list of um, non-negotiables, things that, that if, if this person exhibits any of these characteristics or things that, that you just know automatically that's not the person I want to spend my life with. Number one being I need, I need someone who, who loves Jesus. I need someone who, who walks the same walk that I do, that we can raise a family together and, and, and love Jesus together. There are other things, someone who's kind and caring and, and committed, but you start to see other things. And the way you get to know someone is the same way that I got to know my wife. You start to see their character. And, and one thing that I want you to get, this is kind of extra, but, but character at a point in time is easy. Character at a point in time is easy to fake. You can, you can pretend you have character for a very short period of time, and you can fool anyone. But character over time, that's the gold. And so over time, I, I, I spent time with her. I, I, I saw, uh, I learned from, th from the things that she said. I learned about her passions and the things that she disliked and what her life was like before I met her. I learned from watching her life. I learned her, about her character, how she, how she lived her life. That I learned that she would be an incredible mom. I could tell because of the compassion. She's the most selfless woman I've ever met in my whole entire life. And I learned by watching her life, her love for Jesus, because our love for Jesus is much more than what we talk about. It's about what we do. It's the, it's the actions that we, we take in our lives. And, and so over watching and listening, I, start to, I started to, to get a, a good idea of who she is. And, you know, the best place to learn about someone, the best place to learn about someone is from that someone. And so... For someone who's not here, the best place to learn about them is through biographies. Biographies are, are the best place to learn about someone, who they are, what they did, their character. And in a way, this Gospel of John is, is a biography. It's written by someone who watched the life of Christ. It's written by someone who, who, who walked with him for years, who did life with him, who saw all of the things that we're about to talk about. But in another way, we get to hear from the person himself, because the Gospel of John was inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
So as we walk through these chapters, we're going to hear about Jesus. Remember, we talked on night one, we talked about God revealing his truth through what? His creation. This morning, we talked about God revealing his truth through his word. And then tonight, we're going to start talking about God's revelation, his revealing his truth through his good. So there's a uniqueness to the life of Christ. He lived 30 years in relative obscurity, which means he lived 30 years off the map. Like, he, he wasn't, it's not like he started his ministry when he was three years old, and, and by the time he was five, he was this prodigy. It, it wasn't like that at all. He, he lived in a, 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 a non-religious town and grew up in, in a pretty average life. His dad was a, was a carpenter. He wasn't rich by any means. And then around 12 years old, he starts asking questions, questions that a 12-year-old shouldn't be asking. Mary and Joseph knew about his miraculous birth. They knew that, uh, that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. They knew that, that Joseph was his stepfather. They, they knew that that the, the, the things that surrounded his birth made, made Jesus different. Hebrews 4.15, this is how different Jesus is. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Like, imagine that. Picture that. Jesus is growing up, right? He's got brothers and sisters. He's, he has brothers and sisters. He's growing up. He never lied. He never talked trash about somebody. He never, he never hit his brother or his sister. He never cheated on a test. He, he always did his chores when he was asked. He was tempted just like you and I. He lived, in, in a lot of ways, the same childhood that you have lived, and yet he was without sin, that's incredible. Like, it, it's so strange. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? Like, how do you grow up in that family? You can never be the favorite kid. And yet, now we're going to walk through this next chapter of his life, which is his ministry. Around the age of 30, Jesus started his public ministry. We're going to skip rocks through, through some early uh, mentions of him. We're going to talk through uh, these, these next like, three-plus chapters of the book of John. In, uh, as we walk through, I want, for each story, I want you to ask the question, what does this reveal about Jesus? What does this teach me about Jesus? We're going we're gonna to walk through incredible stories, many of them you heard up here in the skit. By the way, aren't they doing such a good job? It's incredible. <laughs> They are so talented, so talented. So let's start in John chapter 2. Open up to John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, there's a wedding going on, an incredible wedding, and, uh, and, and they show up, and there's so many people there that they, they run out of wine. Now, wine was an important part of a wedding because back then the water wasn't so good. It wasn't, it wasn't easy to, to have water that was drinkable, and so they would have this wine that they would, they would bring in. And, and all the guests, wine, the, the weddings would happen over many days. And so eventually what happens is they would serve the, the good wine first. And then after they had gotten uh, a little further along in their drinking, they would start to bring out the, the bad wine. And, and the, 
this wedding was, was so packed with people that they actually ran out of wine. And, and so Mary, who is helping with the wedding, Jesus' mom, comes to Jesus, and he, he, it's, it's like a catastrophe. Like we've run out of things for our guests to drink. And, and you have to understand that the Jewish um, history is one full, full of hospitality. It was, a, it was a huge part of their faith. And so Mary points at Jesus and says, do whatever he says. And he says, grab those six pots and fill them with water. And right there, Jesus turns water into wine. It's his first miracle. And what's amazing about that is, is Jesus turns water into wine. And it's not just the bad wine, which they would have expected by this point, point in the wedding. It's the best wine they've ever had. It's the best wine they've ever experienced. Now, there's some interesting uh, details about that. You know, uh, Jesus later in his life, what, before he's going to the cross, he does uh, Passover suffer, supper. He, does, uh, he institutes what's called communion, where he says, this is my body. And then he takes the wine and he says, this is my blood. Wine all throughout the Bible is connected with the blood of Christ. And so isn't it like our Savior, when he's going to make something that, that symbolizes his blood, that he would make the best wine out there? And so with that miracle, Jesus, in the book of John, Jesus starts his public ministry. It's not full-fledged yet, but he's, he's almost getting into where it's time for people to know who he is. John chapter 3, he has this night encounter, and, and that's significant. So uh, people would come at night when they were trying to be a little shady. You know shady people? Okay. All right. Somebody back there really knows shady people. So, so people, people would come by night if they were trying to kind of to, to, to be shady. And so Jesus is going to have this uh, night encounter with a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a, uh, a Pharisee. But not just a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews. This was a guy who was esteemed by everyone. This is a guy who everyone was like, that guy is incredible. Like, we're going to follow him. We're going to listen to him. He's going to teach us. He's going to rule us. We're going to submit to him. He was one of those rulers. So look at what it says in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Remember, that's something that you would do if you were shady. He didn't want his fellow, his, his fellow uh, Pharisees to know that he was coming to Jesus. He wanted to do it under the cloak of darkness. He wanted, he wanted, to, be, uh, he wanted to get away with what he was about to do. So he comes to him by night and, it sa and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with, is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, puzzled by the way, said to him, How can a, a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and, and he wants to know, hey, hey how, 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 do I, how, how do I become saved? What, what's the, what, what does it look like? And Jesus, Jesus is going to answer him. He says, you need to be born again. 
There needs to be a second birth. If you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, something has to happen. We're not born Christians. Those of you who are here, a lot of you are here from Christian homes. You are not born a Christian. Something has to happen. There is an event that happens in your life where you are born again. But Nicodemus asked a question that I think all of us would ask. Well, how can that be? How can I? He, he, was, he was older at the time, at least in his 30s, probably older. And, and he goes, well, I'm, I'm an old man. How could I be born again? I can't climb back into my mother's womb. And Jesus answers. He says, unless you are born of water, the first birth, the, the first birth when you're born from your mother, unless you are born both from water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's a, there's a second birth that is, is, is a, birth, a, a birth from the Spirit, which means the Spirit calls you into salvation. There's a movement of the Spirit that happens. Something changes. And for many of you here, my prayer is that, that this week as we're entering into to what Jesus has for you, that something might happen in your life as well. That whether you grew up in a Christian home and you, you just came up here thinking you've always been a Christian or, or maybe you're here and, and you're not a believer and, and you, God, God's worked miracles to get you here to come up to camp and, and, and you're, you would never have imagined that you would be here up, up at Hume Lake at a Christian camp. My prayer is that God would do something in you to lead you to the place where you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. Fast forward to John chapter 4. It's, a, it's a, a story that I love. It's actually the reason why we named our church the well. It is in John chapter 4, uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful story of reconciliation in the midst of truth and grace. And, and Jesus comes to this, this woman. It says in, in John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he, he left Judea, a part of a major, that's where Jerusalem is. It's a big part of, um, of Israel, in the, south of, of the Galilee. He leaves and departed again for the Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. John's using some interesting words there. Because the truth is, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. There are three routes that he could have gone. Three major uh, uh, routes that anybody could have gone to get from Judea to, uh, to the Galilee where he did most of his ministries. Three ways to get from point A to point B. To go from south to north. He's not saying he had no choice. He's saying to accomplish what Jesus wanted to accomplish, he had to go through Samaria. Now, you need to know about Samaria. Not only does, is this the more difficult route, the more dangerous route, but he also takes the more controversial route. The Samaritans were the cat in Dogtopia. If, if you didn't pick up on that, let me, let me be clear. The Samaritans in Dogtopia were seen as the cats. They, 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 they weren't welcome in, in Israel. They weren't loved by the Jewish people. They were considered half-breeds. They, 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 they had uh, strife that, that 
they had with the, 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 Israel, the Jewish people for decades. Back as far as 722 B.C., they were at odds with each other. We see it all throughout the text. We see it in, in John chapter 4. And yet Jesus is the reconciler. He, he brings peace. He brings reconciliation. Not just between us and God, but between us and others. John 4, verse 7 and following says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water at the well. Jesus said to, to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There it is, right in the text. They didn't like each other. Jesus answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. He didn't have anything with him. And she says, the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and his livestock. But Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But everyone, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in, a, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman's going to say to him something significant. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, she's thinking of physical water. Not only did she have to come to the well in the middle of the day. She's, she's there in the middle of the day because she was too ashamed of what her past had, had what had happened in her past to come and be around the other Jewish women who, were, who would go in the cool of the morning to draw water from the well and bring it back to their family. Because of her past, she was too ashamed to show up when they were there. So she would brave the heat in the middle of the day and she would go to this well and she would, she would sweat and she would draw water and she would carry the heavy jar back to, to her house. That's the, the way she would go. And so Jesus shows up in the middle of the day where he knew he would meet someone with less than, than, uh, than good character. And Jesus, as he responds, he's, she, she just wants physical water. She just wants some way that, that she could not have to come back to this well and possibly run into somebody who knew her story. But Jesus is thinking about something much more refreshing. We'll get to that in a little bit. But she says, give me this water, and then things are going to get real. Things get real with her. John, uh, verse 16 uh, through 19, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so Jesus starts to tell her things about her life that she didn't want anybody else to know. Certainly not a Jewish man who, who she had never met before, who shows up in the middle of the day to this well. And yet Jesus 
in that encounter, he embodies what we talked about the first night, that he is complete truth and complete grace at the same time. He could have been harsh with her. He could have brought her to the, to, to the Jewish authorities. He could, have been, he, he, could have, uh, he could have brought her to the place where she had to deal publicly with her shame and her guilt. It could have potentially cost her her life. But instead, he calls her out on her past, and he points her to something better, a future where she doesn't have to be thirsty anymore, a future where he meets all of her needs, and she goes, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Well, she's close, but she's not quite there. Then in John 4, uh, verses 25 and 26, something incredible happens. She, she's going to experience who Jesus is for the first time. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that, that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is so significant, you guys. This is the first time he's revealed to anyone who he is. This is the first time he's revealed to anyone in the Gospel of John who he is, that he came to be the Messiah. Here's why that's significant. She's a woman of less than good character. If you, if you picture the Messiah coming, many of the Pharisees would have just written it off based on that alone. But Jesus is the type of savior who comes to reconcile those who are lost. He says other places in scripture, that he, didn't, he didn't come for the, those who are healthy. He came for the sick. It's the sick that need a doctor. And, and so he comes to this place and he reveals himself to her as the Messiah, to this ethnically diverse, immoral woman who, who most Jews wouldn't even talk to. And then in verse 39, we know something happened in her life. Because after she leaves, it says, many believed because of the word the woman told them. And then in verse 41, it's, it, it becomes even more. Many more believed because of his word. So because of the, the testimony of this woman, because she was open to sharing not only her guilt and her shame, because she goes on and she says, he told me things about me that nobody else knew. He could have never known that. You don't think they were going to ask, well, what were those things? She shares her guilt and her shame because she's been freed from that. And Jesus' testimony and his teaching left them with one possibility. And it says they... They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I love that story. It shows Jesus' heart for people, for the lost, for people in pain who are suffering, for you and for me. No matter if our lives are right or if they're not, no matter if we're in the middle of hard times or things are good, Jesus loves us. And he, he came to, to give us a refreshment. Jesus says other places, he says, he says I, I came to give you abundant life. He wants so much for you. And then in John chapter 5, 
You find Jesus at this place, these pools of Bethesda. I've been there. I've I've stood foot on the place where they where where these pools are. And and there was this uh, this Greek god of of medicine. His name was Asclepius, and and Asclepius was was this Greek god. He was the son of Apollo in their their uh, Greek mythology. And, and what would happen is they would, the, 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 those who were uh, disabled or, or they called them the, uh, the lame in the Bible, those who were the lame, they would, they would go down and they would oftentimes they would have like someone carry them down and they would just sit by these pools because they believed that these, these pools had healing powers. But only one time in the day, only one time when the, when the waters would start to swirl. And, and so when the waters would start to swirl, they would, they would, literally climb over each other because they believed that the first person into the pool, when the, when the, when the water started to swirl, they would be healed. Now, in reality, it was, it was the drainage. It's like a toilet, right? Any of you guys flush a toilet? You see it go around the toilet? That's, that's what was happening. The water was draining, and, and, and yet they had this idea that this, this uh, Greek god of, of medicine would somehow heal them. In John 5, uh, verses 3 through 5, it says, in, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm 39. He had been, he had been, an, he had been an invalid. He couldn't walk for 38 years. And he thought that, that it could be the angel of the Lord. And, and he keeps trying to climb in, and he, he keeps getting beat to the pool, and, and that's where Jesus comes. And in verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? He's like, 38 years I've been here. Of course I want to be healed. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus looks at this man. This man who, who was an outcast. This man who no one cared for. He didn't even have someone in his life who could lift him up and put him in the pool. He had no hope. He was just sitting there hoping nobody else would show up that day so that he could roll himself into the pool. He had no one. And Jesus looks at him, verse 8, and he says, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. The Sabbath is something instituted in Genesis chapter 1. We talked about that on on day 1. In Exodus 20, it's actually a part of the Ten Commandments, that we would would obey the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath was a day of rest. Well, the Pharisees would take it even further. They, They made up all these rules around the Sabbath. You couldn't do silly things. You know you couldn't stir mud on the Sabbath? Well, you also couldn't carry um, your bed. You weren't allowed to carry your bed. That was seen as work on the Sabbath, something that was punishable in, in court. And so in John chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, it says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. This guy was just healed. The Pharisees are like, they, they don't care about the fact that this man who couldn't walk for 38 years at the voice of the Savior of the world finally gets up. They're, they're not in awe about that. They're just looking, how can we catch Jesus? And he says, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, 
The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And there was a large, large crowd in place. So this man recognized the authority of the Son of God. He knew it was the Sabbath. He knew the rules. And yet he knew Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. And we start to know, notice in these stories, there's, a, a ver, there's varying opinions that are starting to creep up over who Jesus is. Nicodemus says he's a good teacher. The woman at the well says he's a, a prophet. The man healed at the pool says he's, he's just a man. But who is he really? Well, thankfully, thankfully Jesus tells us because in John 4, 26, we, we read it, the woman at the well, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus claims right there to be the Messiah of the world. There, this world is full of people who say Jesus never claimed to be God. And then we look at John 4, 26, and he, he says, I who speak to you am he. So the encounter at the pool ends in verse 16 and 17. And it says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. My father, he says. And he's claiming to be equal with God. In verse 18, he says, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This group of people who are expecting a Messiah are feeling threatened because they're no longer in control. There's one on the scene who has more authority than they do. There's someone who comes on the scene and, and has the ability to, to redefine what it looks like to follow the master in Dogtopia. And he calls himself equal with God. And then in John chapter 6, we have a, a, a very famous story. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with, with five loaves of bread and two fish. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Here's what's crazy even more. We think loaves of bread like we get at the store. What we're talking about are like five rice cakes and two sardines. It wasn't like a big old thing of salmon, even though that would be an amazing feat. These people were poor, and all, they, all this boy could have had was, were these five little un, loaves of unleavened bread and two sardines that would have likely been used for bait. And Jesus is going to feed the 5,000, and then he makes this bold statement. He says in verse 35 of, of John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In verse 60, he says, when many, it says, when many of his disciples heard that, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing, to him, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And all that people can think is like, well, we eat bread. And so they're going, this doesn't make any sense. Why, why would you be the bread of life? Do you want us to eat your flesh and, 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 and 
they just miss the idea of what Jesus is saying. But, but Jesus puts them through this test because he, he says, if you can't handle this, how will you handle greater things? And then in John 6, verse 66 through 69, it says, after this, many of those disciples who couldn't handle greater things turned back and no longer walked with him. They just left him. When things got hard, they left. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Listen to what Simon Peter says. These are, these are the words of someone who truly is starting to get the picture of who Jesus is. These are words that I want you to echo when things get hard in your life. See, Simon Peter in verse 68, he answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When things get, things get hard, you're going to go, where, where else could I turn? Where else could I turn but, but the Holy One of God? In Him is eternal life. That's my hope for you. And then as we wrap up John chapter 7, there's this feast of, of Sukkot and it's not that important. It celebrates the, the gathering of harvest and it commemorates uh, the miraculous protection of the Israelites as they left Egypt during the Exodus. But in John chapter 7, he, he creates, he, he finishes what he said around the, the, the bread of life statement. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. And cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He calls himself the living water. So what he's saying, if, if you think about bread and water, uh, that's, that's the, the minimum amount of food you need to sustain life. Like bread and water, it, it, the, the, that's the source of life itself, food and water. And so what Jesus is saying, when you put it through a spiritual lens, is that he is the source of eternal life. That just like bread and water in this world sustain your life here, Jesus is what gives you life for eternity And at the end of each of these encounters, each of these stories that we hear, each of the testimonies that you heard in the, in the, the skit today, his listeners had to decide, was this all a coincidence? Remember, I told you character at a point in time is easy to fake. But character over time, that's the gold. There's a reason why John included all of these stories. Because remember what the theme of John is? Believe. He included all of these stories so that we might believe, just like, the, the, just like Simon Peter said, that, that Jesus is the Holy One of God. They had to decide, was it a coincidence, all of these stories? Could it be explained away? Or is Jesus exactly who he said he was? Because if Jesus is exactly who he says he was, then there's personal responsibility that comes along with that. If Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, then we have to respond to that. 
Our lives have to look like we actually believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So you have to decide. Is he a teacher? John chapter 3. Is he a prophet? John chapter 4. Is he just a man? John chapter 5. In John chapter 6, is he the the bread of life? In John chapter 7, is he living water? There's There's something that needs to happen inside of each and every one of you in order to put your faith in Jesus. You have to decide for yourselves. Your teachers and your parents, their faith, it doesn't count towards your salvation. And so as we wrap up this message, I want you to take this question with you. Who do you say Jesus is? We're going to continue kicking around this idea of who Jesus is and what it means for our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the evidence. Lord, as we saw in the skit, the the testimonies of each of these stories that, that John includes to to make us do away with any idea, any, any thought that, that Jesus could be anything other than the Son of God, the Messiah. Lord, one story might be able to be explained away, but John includes so many, so many stories of miraculous things, so many stories of Jesus doing the impossible. So, Lord, help us as we wrestle with the the question of who Jesus is to us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with my friends as they they do their cabin discussions tonight. That tonight would be a turning point that they could get deep and talk about real life. Lord, we're so grateful for the way you're working. Let's pray that your spirit would continue to move over this camp. In Jesus' name, amen.